wonderful to be at our home church tonight, and we thank you for praying for Peggy and I. We were able to get in today. We've been up in New England uh, for the last several days and uh, finished up and headed to uh, Boston this morning, flew back in, and barely made it in for the service this night, but we've been excited about what the Lord's been doing. Uh, we've heard great things about God's moving in our midst here in the church, and so I have been praying for you, and Peggy's been praying as well, and uh, great to be here tonight. Wonderful singing and testimonies of what God's doing in our life and in our heart. Amen. I'd ask you tonight, if you would, take your Bible, and I'd like to go to the New Testament book of Matthew. The book of Matthew chapter 9, I have had the book of Genesis on my heart lately as we've been studying it, and, uh, but I want to go to Matthew 9 tonight. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9. If you've got your Bible, let's stand and reverence the reading of the Scriptures. I know the Lord's moving and working in the church, and we've experienced revival. I've uh, been told folks have been called to preach. Others have surrendered their life to the Lord for whatever God has for them. And um, it's exciting to see what the Lord's doing. In fact, I told the church the other night up in Maine while I was preaching uh, what the Lord's been doing here. And uh, they were taken back that God still worked in that fashion. And, of course, up in that part of the country, if you want to say amen, you got to hold a cue card up that says amen, too. So it's kind of like going north of the border into Canada. Uh, if you want them to say hallelujah, hold up one card that says hallelujah, and another one says amen. And uh, you might get one out of them. If you listen real heavy, uh, real hard, you might hear a, a small one out of them along the way. Uh, but God gave us great meetings, and I do appreciate it. Uh, I'm going to read a missions text tonight, but I'll not be preaching so much on the subject matter of missions I want to bring something that the Lord recently gave to me while I was in the country of Brazil and our last trip there. And I want to say thank you to the church for helping us with that. Sometime we'll give you a full update on what the Lord did. But notice, if you would please, now in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 9, and we'll begin reading in verse number 35. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest. Let's pray. Our fathers, we bow before you this evening. We thank you for the presence and the power and the moving of the Holy Spirit of God in our midst already this evening. Thank for the wonderful choir singing, the specials, the testimonies, and the moving of God. Lord, we'd ask you tonight that you'll do it again. We'd ask our Father that you may meet the needs of your people that are here tonight. I sure thank you for our church and thank you for our pastor. And I thank you for all that you've done in our midst. And Lord, tonight I would ask you that as a result of these meetings and this revival, that you'll send forth right here from Bible Baptist Church, pastors, evangelists, godly ladies, Preachers' wives, missionaries' wives, evangelists' wives, young men that would be willing to give their lives to preach the gospel and serve the Lord. I pray, Father, that from this meeting you'll raise up the necessary funds for the expansion of this ministry. And God, the great things that you have for us in the days ahead. Now, Lord, we'd ask you tonight, do your work. Give thy servant the divine power and presence of the Holy Spirit. And we'll be careful to bow and with the heads and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated tonight. Um, 
I know that God has been working in our midst, and again, I am thankful for those that have yielded their lives to preach and others that have surrendered to whatever God's will is for their life. I remember uh, some years ago when I was saved, I um, would hear young preachers preach, and the Holy Spirit of God would convict me. And I didn't think God could use a young man that had been saved off the streets uh, such as I had. And so I struggled with it. And preach it wasn't because I didn't know that God had called me. It's because I didn't think God could use someone like me. But I remember calling my preacher at the time in the middle of the night. It was about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. And I said to him, I said, preacher, I know a young man that God's called to preach. I don't have any idea what to tell him. Well, I'd woke him up two or three o'clock in the morning. I wasn't about to tell him it was me that God was dealing with. I, you know, I, I guess I lied. I had to ask the Lord to forgive me later. But anyway, <clears throat> he started laughing. He said, well, uh, Brother Ellis, he said, the best thing I can tell you to do, son, is preach. And um, he said, the whole church knowed it anyway. I said, the whole church already knew it? He said, we sure did. He said, we're just praying, waiting on you to realize God had called you to preach. And so that first Sunday night, I was so nervous, I uh, got into the services and pastor dismissed and he called everyone back in and said, wait a minute, I forgot something. He said, Brother Ellis, you come to the platform. Now, when I was a young man, I was scared to death to have to meet anybody. I was one of them that literally wrap up my mom's uh, dress trying to get away from folks or go hide somewhere. And uh, he said, Brother Ellis, you tell them what uh, you told me at two or three o'clock this morning. He emphasized the two or three o'clock. And so I stood and told him and uh, I said, God's called me to preach. And he said, now you folks want to be back because Brother Ellis is going to be preaching his first message. And I went home and I uh, started studying and trying my best to preach. And I got there that night and I had it all laid out, what I was going to be preaching on and uh, got lost in my notes. Couldn't pre- and of all things, as a young preacher, I was going to preach out of the book of Colossians on the preeminence of Christ. I'll be honest with you, I couldn't even give you a definition of the word preeminence. I didn't have no idea what it meant, but bless God, that's what I was going to preach at night. So I got up and I started trying to follow my outline and got lost right away in my outline. Finally, I started weeping and wadded my notes up, went looking for a trash can to throw my notes away. I, I didn't realize preacher's messages were all good and he didn't have a trash can on the platform. And uh, so I finally just threw them on the floor in front of the pulpit and uh, told him, I said, folks, I said, let me just tell you what God's done for me. And I gave my testimony. <clears throat> I'd been praying, asking the Lord uh, uh, to give us souls for our labor. And that night, this young 16-year-old girl that was pretty much born and raised in our church, been there all of her life, and she came forward that night and got saved and gave her life to the Lord. Well, I couldn't tell you what that did for a young preacher boy that had just been called into the gospel ministry. And as I began to pray, my burden has always been that God would put us in a right place of service where souls could get saved and give their life to the Lord Jesus. And as I read this passage of Scripture, I know it is a missions text, but I want to look at three or four things, maybe five things, as the Lord directs tonight that we can learn from the Lord Jesus himself concerning evangelism. One thing in years past, And I've done a lot of reading and studying on revivals of yesteryears. I've gone to Connecticut and I've been on Baptist history tours and I've stood where uh, George Whitfield stood and preached until the light went out. He preached with a Bible in one hand and a candle in the other. And he preached until the candle and the light had extinguished. 
He turned where he stood in that door, walked up the steps right inside the door, and that night he passed over onto the other side to be with the Lord Jesus Christ. And as I thought about that passage, I thought about the 7.5 billion people that live on the planet Earth. Out of revival comes forth a heart, a desire, a burden to see souls saved and birth into the family of God. Now notice in our text uh, some things that Jesus uh, commanded the disciples and the things that he taught him. Notice, if you would please, the communication of Christ. In verse number uh, 35, the Bible says, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Notice the communication of Christ. The Bible said that he went into the cities. There's your metropolitan areas. He went into the village. There's your rural areas. And he went into the synagogues. There's your religious areas. And I say to you that out of revival comes forth the heart of a people, an individual who loves the souls of men, who have a burden to get the gospel to loved ones that are dying and going to hell without Jesus Christ. And the Bible tells us in this passage of Scripture that Jesus had great communication. Is there a communicator greater than our Lord, greater than our Savior, greater than Jesus himself, the great communicator to carry forth and to call his people to preach the gospel to the regions beyond, but not just the regions beyond, but in our own households. I wonder sitting here tonight, how many of sitting here that have lost a burden for a loved one that lives under the same roof that you go to bed in every night and you have failed to witness to them and you have not surrendered your life to the will of God in whatever God has for your life. God wants us to be a communicator of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You say, well, preacher, I, you know, I just... I just don't know uh, how to witness to anyone. Tell them what Jesus did for you. Tell them what God did for you this week during this revival. Tell them the great things that God has done right here in this meeting, right here on these altars this very week. Communication is an old Latin word that means to share in common. And may I say to you that there are multitudes that are lost without Christ and they need the gospel of Christ. How shall they hear except there be a preacher? And so what God is saying literally is we are to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to this lost and dying world. I remember years ago we lived in Rollins, Wyoming where we served as a missionary chaplain and we came back and... Uh, we had to make a hospital visit for someone that was a friend. We were passing out gospel tracts, and this has been upwards of 30 years ago, and we were witnessing everyone we could find. And uh, it was, it's, I found it's hard back in those days, much harder than today, to go soul winning. You say, preacher, what do you mean? Uh, there weren't as many sinners in those days? Well, it didn't seem like there was because everybody you talked to was saved and going to heaven because they'd been baptized. Or their grandma or grandpa was a preacher. Or they went to church or had their name on a church roll. 
And I remember a man was sitting there and he was a janitor. And as we walked by, I walked over and gave him a gospel track and had opportunity to witness to him and lead him to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I say to you that when we communicate the gospel of Christ, we are sharing what Christ has commanded us to do and taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to the lost and dying world. How many of you know of the Titanic? Could I see your hand tonight? I thought it'd be everybody in here tonight, young and old. How many of you know of a man by the name of John Harper? Do you know a man by the name of John Harper? Uh, many of the preachers tonight do. John Harper was a Baptist preacher. He had preached at the Moody Church, and uh, the meeting had gone on for weeks. Revival had broken out, and uh, he had gone back uh, to his country, and uh, Moody had asked him to come back for a three-month revival meeting. In the meantime, his wife had passed away and gone on to be of the Lord. And Mr. Harper had bought tickets for he and his daughter and also for uh, his sister. And they bought tickets on the Titanic. And they were on board the ship that night that the Titanic hit that iceberg. And as the, uh, the passengers were being put on those lifeboats, which they only had a fraction of for the uh, people that was on the boat. And while they were putting them on, Mr. Harper took his daughter and his sister and put them on the boat. He prayed with them and walked away a few feet, turned and said, I'll see you again someday. He disappeared into the crowd. And as he disappeared into the crowd, he began to witness to people and tell them about Jesus and how they could be saved. And Mr. Harper that night on the Titanic had led many to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Eventually, all of the passengers would be, find themselves in the ocean. And Mr. Harper would go from one to another. He had found a life vest and put it on before he plunged into the icy waters that night. And he'd swim from one passenger to another in the icy, chilly waters. And those that were swimming that were without the lifeboats, and he would go and he'd say, Sirs, do you know Jesus as your Savior? He won many to Christ in those chilly waters that night. But the currents came across, I pushed him across another man. The man was holding on for dear life to a piece of uh, timber uh, from the sinking of the Titanic. Mr. Harper said to him, Sir, do you know Jesus as your Savior? And the man replied, Away with this Jesus. I want nothing to do with the gospel of Christ. Mr. Harper swam to another passenger in the water and witnessed to them and another and another. And after a while, the current pushed him back across the path of the man holding on for dear life onto that piece of timber. And he said, Sir, do you know Jesus as your Savior? He said, I told you I want nothing to do with that gospel. And Mr. Harper swam away and witnessed to many of them. And he led many to a saving knowledge of Christ. And after a while, the currents brought him back across the path of that man. And he said, Sir, are you ready to believe on Jesus? He said, I told you I want nothing to do with the gospel of Christ. Mr. Harper took his life vest off and threw it to the man. He said, Sir, if you're not going to trust Jesus as your Savior, you need this life vest more than I. 
Mr. Harper threw him his life vest and swam to uh, one victim after another after another and witnessed one many to a saving knowledge of Christ in the icy, chilly waters that night. One year after the sinking of the Titanic, they came together and the memorial service of the Titanic and all of its victims. There were multitudes that had survived that had come together and one after another, after another, after another stood that night and gave testimony of the sinking of the Titanic and the frightening and the terror of that accident and that incident that happened that night. But also individual after individual stood and gave testimony of how Mr. Harper had led them to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then another man stood He was a young man, and he began to weep. He said, I remember that night. I was in the chilly waters, and Mr. Harper came across my path and said, Sir, do you know Jesus as your Savior? I told him, no, I wanted nothing to do with that gospel. And he came by a second time and a third time. And on the third time, he threw me his life vest and said, Okay, then, if you're not going to get saved and you're not ready for heaven right now and you're going to reject Christ, you need this life vest more than me. And he threw me his life vest and swam off and began telling others about Jesus. He said, After Mr. Harper threw me his life vest and swam off and I could hear him in the darkness of the night saying, Sirs, believe on the Lord Jesus and thou shalt be saved. He said, there on that piece of timber in the chilly icy waters, I bowed my heart and my head to the God of heaven and trusted Jesus as my Savior. And I'm here tonight to tell you, I know Christ and I know I'm going to heaven when I die because of Mr. Harper. There was others that stood and said, we saw what happened to Mr. Harper. We saw him when he took his last breath. He had swam to many of us and had witnessed to us and Mr. Harper was getting overtaken and he was overcame by hypothermia and as he was going down and fighting for all of his life and you could tell that all of the life was going out of him. And he said, Mr. Harper pushed up out of the water with all of his might and said, Sirs, believe on Jesus and thou shalt be saved. His voice was silence beneath the water. We have been given a command to be communicators of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have loved ones underneath our roofs and loved ones in our family that we call aunts and uncles and grandmas and grandpas and siblings and parents. We have friends and neighbors and loved ones and extended families who know not Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. It is the will of God that we be a communicator of the gospel. You say, preacher, I'm too backward, I'm too timid. We're not timid when it's something we want to do or like to do. We would give our all to serving God as much as we give our all to our occupations and our hobbies and our 
things that we enjoy in this life, we can turn this world upside down for Jesus Christ. So we see the communication of Christ. In verse number 36, we see his compassion. When we saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Let me ask you tonight, do you have a compassion for folks without Christ? Let me ask you this, do you have a passion for Christ? If you don't have a passion for Christ, you won't have a compassion for sinners. And compassion is important in our our Bible. It is used three different ways in the New Testament. Beginning in the uh, book, I believe it's in 1 Peter chapter 3, along about verse number 9, where he talks about having compassion one on another. And that is a compassion among the church or the Christians and believers. It's when we see each other with a need and we get involved and it's a compassion of affection. We get involved because we know there's a need and it's our Christian duty to get involved in helping to provide that need. And then there's a compassion of affection and that is found in our passage of Scripture here. Notice the Bible does not say that Jesus had uh, compassion on them. But the Bible said he was moved with compassion on them. And this is the second level of the word compassion in the New Testament. It's a compassion that goes beyond just an affection, knowing that it is our Christian duty. This is an affection or a compassion that literally moves the heart and the inwards of man. And I ask us tonight, do we have a compassion for sinners? Do we have a passion for Christ? remember some years ago reading an article talking about during the war, back in World War I, there was a medic that was young to the battlefield. It was his first action. He was in his foxhole and he was to go out and get the wounded and bring them in for treatment in that no man's land. He was fearful and wouldn't get out of his foxhole. And so finally, his commander came by and said, Soldier, you better get out of that foxhole and go find the wounded and the dying and bring them in. He said, Sir, I'm afraid. It's my first time in action. He said, I don't care if it is or not. You better get out and you better go after the wounded and bring them in. A little time later, he came by and the man was still in the foxhole and he threatened him, and after a while, he turned his, his gun on him and said, if you don't get out of that foxhole, I'll shoot you where, you where you lay and where you sit. Reluctantly, he got out of his foxhole and crawled out and, and found a wounded man, a soldier, and, and brought him in. And he crawled out and got another and brought him in and another and another and finally another. And after a while, hours had passed by and the commander had come by. And now this soldier was running with all of his might and getting the wounded and bringing them back and going after another and bringing them back and another and bringing them back. And he said to him, for the soldier was now exhausted. And he said to him, stand down. And he ran out and got another and brought him back. And he said, I said, stand down. He said, sir. He said, I've heard the cry of the dying and I cannot stop. 
when we hear the cry of the dying and our loved ones that are dying and going to a Christless hell without God, how can we stop tonight? How can we deprive them of the gospel of Jesus Christ? No wonder at the great white throne judgment when our loved ones and sinners are cast into a crisis hell without God. And when it's all said and done, no wonder in the book of Revelation God will have to wipe the tears from our eyes. And a mother, father, is seated in the grandstands of heaven there comes our loved ones, they're escorted to the pits of hell. There's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. We hear the cries of the damned. And our loved ones saying, why didn't you tell me about Christ? Why didn't you invite me to church? Why didn't you love me more than that? I remember years ago, in the middle of the night, the Holy Spirit of God moved on Mrs. Ellis's heart to go witness to a sister who is lost without Jesus Christ. She went and knocked on the door, and when her sister came, it frightened her. She thought her mother or dad had passed away, and Peggy tried to witness to her. She rejected Christ and has still rejected Christ up to this day, but she'll not be able to stand before God and say, no man ever cared for my soul. It is said that D.L. Moody was on a ship at sea one night and he was in the bow of the ship. We're talking about compassion. He was moved with compassion. And he heard that dreaded cry, man overboard! Man overboard! Mr. Moody was hard. He retired for the night and he thought within himself, if I get up and get dressed and I go up on the deck, it'll be too late. It was a stormy night. He thought to himself, I'll just get on my knees and pray. And he bowed on his knees and started to pray and he said, I couldn't pray. And so he said, I struck a lamp, a lantern, and I walked over to the porthole and I held a lantern up to the porthole for several minutes. And I prayed that God would help the dear soul that had gone overboard in the storm. He said, after several minutes, I extinguished the light and went over on my bunk and prayed for him and turned in for the best night's sleep I could given the circumstances. He said, as soon as I woke up the next morning, I went up on deck and I began to inquire as to what had happened. And they told us that Mr. Moody, a man went, fell overboard last night and we had thrown him one of those life rings and the waves were pushing him away from us and then it would bring him back in and he couldn't get it and he couldn't see him. The searchlight would go past him and then uh, sweep out again. But he said, somewhere out of nowhere, 
Someone in the bow of the ship held a light up to the porthole. And that man just happened to look up and that life ring was right in front of him. He reached up and grabbed that life ring and we were able to bring him on board and spare his life. Let me ask you tonight. God stirred our heart. God has cleansed our, our soul and our heart and our mind toward him. We've been drawn to Christ. Why has he done that? He has trimmed the wick. He has cleaned the glass of the vessel that our light, the light of the glorious gospel of Christ should shine bright and shine to those that are sinking in sin that need the Savior tonight. Thank God for his shed blood and thank God for salvation and thank God for Calvary and thank God for his grace and thank God for his forgiveness and thank God for heaven tonight and thank God for old-fashioned preaching and old-fashioned churches and old-fashioned worship. But I tell you tonight, the multitudes have never so much as heard the name of Christ. Notice the third thing. We see in verse number 37 the comparison of Christ. Then saith the disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the labors are few. There's no comparison when it comes to the saved and sinners. Sinners far outnumber the saved. We don't have to look very far to find people without the gospel. Dr. Bob Hughes, who's in heaven now, he preached a message entitled, I Sat Where They Sat. And he made this statement. He said, you can't take the gospel to the wrong address or take it everywhere you go. I just had statistics that Barnum Survey Group did and Chattanooga, Tennessee is the most churched city in the United States of America. We're right even with Salt Lake City with the Mormons. More people attend church <clears throat> in Chattanooga, Tennessee than any other city in the United States of America. You say, really, preacher? Now you think about it. If we're the most churched city in America, and you think about the people that you know that don't go to church, think about the rest of America and how bad we are. Vermont and Maine and Massachusetts were the most unchurched states in America. We need to take the gospel to those without Christ. And we will only do it when we have a concern for lost souls without him. There's a fourth thing I'd like to bring to our attention tonight. It's found in verse number 38. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest and send forth labors into his harvest. Let me ask you a question tonight. <clears throat> Why would God ask you and I to pray that he would send forth labors into his harvest? We're not our own. We're already belong to him. We're already bought with the price. He already owns the cattle of a thousand hill and everything that is. 
So if he owns all that is, why would he, and he already owns us, why would he even ask you and I to pray that he would send forth labors into his harvest? Was it because that people are dying without Christ and he can't find laborers and he don't have anyone that he can call? Or is it because God has come to the place that he is frustrated? When I was a young preacher boy uh, 41 years ago, here in the South, you couldn't go to a church. There were at least four or six or uh, 12, in some cases, 18 preachers in the congregation. I preach all over America, and it's rare to go into a church with more than one or two pastors or preachers, I should say, in the congregation. We're an exception to the rule here at Bible Baptist Church, believe me. We find the command of Christ to pray that he'll send forth labors. I wonder if there's a young man or a young lady tonight, and I'm talking about ladies been called into the ministry as far as preaching, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying tonight. But I wonder if there's a young man or a young lady here tonight that'd be willing to surrender your life Amen. to serve God. Amen. Would have a, a heart of compassion, a heart that loves God so much that would be willing, like Abraham, to offer even Isaac on the, on the altar of sacrifice and give his life for the work of God. And if you studied, he lived for 175 years. And from the time he left Haran, uh, living by faith and serving God, to the time he was 175 years old when God called him home, you'll find that Abraham served God for 100 years of his life. And for 100 years, he sacrificed and he served and he, and he gave to God whatever God wanted, even his own son, his own children. He was willing to lay them on the altar and commit them to God. So why would God ask us to pray about a harvest that he already owns? Why would he ask us to pray that he would send laborers that already belong to him? I believe I found the answer when I was sitting in Brazil a few weeks ago and I was looking at this text. This is what I saw. He asked them to pray for the harvest in verse number 38, but notice in chapter 10, we forget that when we received our text originally, there was no chapter verse divisions in the Bible. We have a tendency of reading a paragraph break and we stop there thinking that's the end of it or the end of a chapter and it's done. That's not always the case. Notice he asked them to pray and so they prayed the fulfillment of his command in chapter 10 and verse number one. And when he had called unto him his 12 disciples, notice they prayed and he was able to call them. Notice in verse number five, these 12 Jesus sent forth and commanded them saying... 
And the word sent forth, it's much like it's found in Acts chapter 13 where the Bible said the church laid hands on Paul and Silas and they sent them forth and they were sent forth by the Holy Ghost. It literally means to be catapulted or to be thrust. It's like a rocket going into outer space. It has great thrust when it takes off, great inertia to get it out of the earth's atmosphere or out of gravity so that it may go forth. And that's what it means in the Bible when it says they were sent forth. They were thrust forth from the local church. And the Holy Spirit of God thrust them into the ministry. And so I'm saying tonight simply this, is God laid the burden upon their heart to pray for lost sinners, to pray for people that were lost and dying and going to hell. And God said to them, I want you to pray that I will send forth labors and that men's hearts will be sensitive and compassionate towards souls that are in need of the gospel of Christ. And as the disciples began to pray, they became the answer to their prayer. You know why we're not sending too many folks sent out today as preachers and evangelists and missionaries into the ministry? We're not praying for the fields. We're not praying for sinners. We're not praying for our loved ones that are lost without Christ. Out in Napa, California, where the wildfires have been raging and, and where uh, people have been killed and their life have been taken in those fires in the middle of the night as they swept through and they, one lady tried to outrun the fire and, and she was overtaken, her and her child. I was visiting with Pastor Mike Ray several years ago right there in Napa where that fire swept through. And as we walked into one of his members, she had been in the church for, if I remember right, at that time, 35 years. She had just been diagnosed with terminal cancer. And as soon as we walked in, she quoted the scripture and said, Pastor Ray, I fought a good fight. I've kept the faith. I've finished my course. And she said, henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. And she quoted the scripture and we came in and Brother Ray began to talk to her and tears streamed down her face. And she said, Pastor Ray, you know this. Said, but I prayed 35 years for my husband to be saved and come to know Christ as his personal Savior. And it took cancer of his wife to break his heart and melt it and this is what she said. She said, Preacher, if I have to have cancer and die and go out to meet God in order for my husband to be saved, so be it. Didn't Paul say something like that? He wish it'd be a curse for Israel's sake that they might be saved. Yeah. I wonder tonight, has God stirred our heart to the point that we're willing to lay our lives on the altar and say to God, Tonight, I'm going to get into the burden of souls. I'm going to pray. And whatever you want, thy will be done. I wonder how many might be saved tonight if we would just lay our lives on the altar. And say, God, not my will, 
but thine be done. Father, bless, I pray tonight, your people. God, give us a burden for souls. Give us a, a passion for Christ. Bless your people, I pray. Revival is for the church. It's for the saint of God. But one of the aftermaths of revival is souls getting saved and giving their life to the Lord because God's people's gotten right with the Lord and God can use them. And their witness and their power is effective. Some of you young men sitting here tonight, some of you families, maybe God's been dealing with you about ministry. Maybe some sitting here tonight have lost their burden for their loved ones. Their own loved ones are to dying without Jesus Christ. Tonight would be a good night to get under that burden at the altar. You need to come tonight, you come.